With the three MCs here to rock the beat. Super rap, Donna Ron, Sagittarius C. We got rhymes galore. We got rhymes galore. It's time to come alive, yo. Welcome to the sixth edition of the Generation Flex podcast. Hello, guys. How are you today? Doing good. Doing good. We finally nailed this intro that was surprisingly difficult for no reason today. You ain't have to tell nobody that. Goodness. It's all right, though. I mean, we keep it real. The people know the struggle. They've heard the, they've heard yeah, the sound glow shady, up. Man. That's yeah, that's like fine. <clears throat> exactly. We did this. This is the first time ever recording. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I, <laughs> I did the spirit. <laughs> but welcome to the Generation Flex podcast, where, of course, we discuss everything bad and black and black and bad from the period of 1980 to 2000. No topic is off limits as we discuss the media, politics, law, religion, entertainment, entrepreneurship, business, sports, uh, theater, the arts. No topic is off hip hop. What else, guys? I always forget something. Is literature? Prince. Literature. Prince, of course. Fashion. fashion. Yeah. Very little fashion, though. Well, we're going to dive. We're definitely going <laughs> to dive into it, but. Uh, we definitely want to use this platform more than anything just to tell these bad and black and black individuals thank you yes. because it was because of them that you know we are able to do the things that we're able to do so today's show we are stopping to pay a little respect to the men of generation flex we had mm-hmm. our show where we paid um our respects to the women back in march and so we're going to take this month to really stop and pause and and speak a little bit on some of the men of uh, who was doing their thing between the periods of 1980 to 2000. So I'm excited about today's show, you guys. How about you? I am super, really? super. Let's go. This month, instead of taking a moment to look black in history, we're going to stop and pause and mention some of the brothers who we consider forefathers of Generation Flex. For today, we speak their names. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Reverend C.L. Franklin. Malcolm X. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Harry Belafonte. Muhammad Ali. Richard Pryor. James Brown. Curtis Mayfield. Red Fox. Stokely Carmichael. Bobby Seale. James Earl Jones. Bill Cosby. Q.E.P. Newton. Sidney Poitier. Bayard Rustin. Dr. Bobby Wright. Thomas Bradley. RuPaul. Martin Luther King. Keenan Ivory Wayans. Benjamin L. Perry. Ossie Davis. Ray Charles. Sammy Davis Jr. John H. Johnson. James Baldwin. Stevie Wonder. Frederick S. Humphreys. All right, guys. I was born... Come on, Jabari. <laughs> Listen, get it stirring in here. Lord, I've been running. It's funny you sing that, Jabari, because that was actually the song playing at the end of Malcolm X. Y'all remember when oh, he was no. on his way to give his final speech? Trust me, that's, song, that's what I think about every time oh, I hear that speech. It gets get you your hand time. out of my pocket. Listen, if I ever hear that phrase... You best believe I'm running <laughs> in the other direction. Absolutely. Well, listen, this is an act- this is a great time to go into our last segment, 
um, or the meat of our segment, rather, where we kind of want to have a, a little bit of a discussion about a few of the forefathers of Generation Flex. And although we named um, 30 gentlemen, there are two in particular that I want to focus on today because I find their words and philosophies to be not only the most prevalent um, of the Generation Flex era, but to be the most prevalent today in 2016. So today we're just going to spend a little time and talk about um, Stokely Carmichael, who was considered the father of the phrase Black Power. And of course, uh, if there was one person that summed up what Generation Flex stood for and what was it, what it was all about, um, it would be Brother Malcolm X. So um, the first question I will pose to you guys is, did you all have an opportunity to listen to the Malcolm X speech, The Battle of the Bullet? Yes. Okay. So how relevant do you all find that conversation to be? Um, I find it well, today. to this day. I mean, it's pretty much the the conversation of the now. I mean, especially dealing with um the with the elections that we have to, um with the elections that we have going on with um, you know, Donald Trump potentially being the presidential nom the presidential elect mm-hmm. for next year. I mean the only thing that I I didn't realize until my mom mentioned it because I played it in the call with my mom, um, and she 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 hit home with that was that um he mentioned um, leaving religion out of the conversation, yes. But then but then he several times made kind of took shots at the Christian religion, even after saying leave religion out of it, and that was kind of like you know that was kind of you know, stop you and make you think it's like, well, you know, he's right about, you know, as far as sometimes when you're trying to deal with the issue of, of all of us in the now, mm-hmm. you know, you do need to address those issues, but don't at the same time attack what you're saying to leave out or not even just attack, but like take little shots at it every now and again. I, I get what you're saying. I think though, because back then, right. Um, a lot of, especially in the Christian church, um, a lot of politics and religion were happening at the same time because they were talking about politics in the churches, right? So I think when he said take religion out of the discussion, I think he meant it as um, me being a Muslim, don't let that distract you from what I'm trying to say because right. because Christianity amongst black people was the, the popular uh, choice. I mean, right? yeah, but so, even with the so, not that right. Christian religion. Right. Well, what I'm getting at is that I don't think that he was necessarily attacking uh, Christianity as a religion. I think he was attacking. We they were using um, Dr. Martin Luther King's um, Christianity based methods of attacking of of dealing with um, civil rights and such and such excuse me, they were using Christianity to deal with um, the problem at hand, racism, you know, civil rights and so forth. And I feel like he can't attack their method of going about about things without inadvertently attacking the religion because it was almost one and the same, right? Troy, do you get what I'm saying? I do, I do. Um, <clears throat> I just, well, first of all, I just love the fact that Malcolm starts this speech by greeting the enemies in the room. It's like it sets the tone for listen. I'm already going to lay it out. Um, And just to give a little background, this speech was actually given 
February of 1964. It was almost a year to the day he died. He died uh, February 20th, two, uh, 1965. So he gave this speech a year before in Detroit. And I consider this speech to be almost like the, this was the, the, the conceiving of Generation Flex. This idea of political, economic, and social power. Because this is what you know, Malcolm talks about, you know, and when he when he puts the when he talks about religion, he does it in a sense that says, listen, I'm not here before you as a Muslim man. I'm they don't hate me because I'm Muslim. They hate me because I'm black. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They, they this ain't this ain't about a religion, because truthfully, if it ain't done, if it's not doing for you, you know, more than it already has, it's a waste of time. So let's talk as um, let's talk as what it means to be liberated. Let's talk about black nationalism and that's what he came he came with this is what my philosophy is it's not an islam or a religion it right. is black nationalism and you know what was, i'm saying and he was right with that with that at the beginning because you know he was saying that if we discussed religion we would have too many differences from the start and we wouldn't get anywhere and i feel like that's what's happening now um you know we're not getting anywhere we're distracted the reason why Trump is so successful because he's good at distracting everyone from the real issues, right? Absolutely. So so instead of focusing on poverty or instead of focusing on unemployment rates, he's focusing on religion, Muslims, or he's focusing on race, you know, Mexicans, you know what I mean? And so you, instead of going further past that wall, you kind of stop right there and it's almost like, well, I got to argue about why you're wrong about Mexicans first before I can argue with you about the real situation, you Mm -hmm. know? And Absolutely. I think that's I think that's what uh, Malcolm X was getting at. Like before you start attacking me about being Muslim and all this stuff, I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about the strategies and what we're doing, what's wrong, what you know, what's right, how can we fix this, you know? Yes, absolutely. And one thing about the Battle of the Bullet is as <laughs> as hard as Malcolm went in on white people, Malcolm went in on us as well. You know what I'm saying? When I tell you (laughs) Malcolm snatched everybody's wig because, and and the thing about it was when he stopped, when he was talking about um, economics and how we continue to put our money into businesses that every day take that money out of the, out of the, out of the uh, community. And then we complain about our communities being run down. The economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we should own and operate and control the economy of our community. You would never find, you can't open up a black store in a white community. White man won't even patronize you. And he's not wrong. He's in, he got sense enough to look out for himself. And you, you who don't have sense enough to look out for yourself. The white man, the white man is too intelligent to let someone else come and gain control of the economy of his community. But you will let anybody come in and control the economy of your community. Control the housing, control the education, control the jobs, control the businesses uh, under the pretext that you want to integrate. No, you're out of your mind. The political, the economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, the community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer, the community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. 
and because these Negroes who have been misled and misguided are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man. The man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to, com to complain about poor housing in a run-down community. Yeah. And then he called us chumps because yeah. he said, because he said, then you get mad at white people for doing that. And he was like, but you're chumps. He's like, why wouldn't they? They just doing what's smart pretty much in the, in the, in yeah. the sense of, you know, why would I give my stuff away? I need to keep what's mine, you know? And he was saying, you know, y'all need to start doing the same thing instead of begging, you know, for stuff from them. You need to build your own, hire your own, elect your own, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And here we are. Fifth, oh, fun fact about Malcolm X. So Malcolm X's parents actually met as organizers for Marcus Garvey's UNIA organization. That's how they met. So he is uh, uh, a brainchild, if you will, of Marcus Garvey. Uh, Funny he, how that. It, it, uh, he was destined. He was destined for this. He was he was born to do this. Um, Even before he realized it. Mm-hmm. So there's, I want to share something with you all because talking a little bit about Malcolm X and really looking at um, how relevant that speech was today. And we're referring to the Battle of the Bullet speech um, if we hadn't mentioned that before. But Malcolm X's theory or Malcolm X's philosophy, rather, of black nationalism, it kind of echoed the same sentiments of Garvey's uh, pan-Africanism, um, um, the civil rights movement, like it's always coming all these different names. Well, basically all we're asking for is freedom, whether whatever, whatever this, this, you know, the method is, we've always used a different name to kind of get to it. So building on Malcolm X's um, philosophy of black nationalism, you have Stokely Carmichael, who was another forefather that I want to make sure we talk about because this year actually marks the 50th anniversary of the, um, black power speech in which Stokely Carmichael gave at the University of uh, California, where he referred to as the ghetto intellectual of the West, and those white people ate it up. And I'm like, y'all just hear what he called y'all? But, you know, whatever. That's what Stokely would do. He would wrap you up so nasty, you wouldn't even know he read you your rights. Thank you very much. It's a privilege and an honor to be in the white intellectual ghetto of the West. We wanted to do a couple of things before we started. The first is that based on the fact that SNCC, uh, through the articulation of its program by its chairman. Stokely coined this phrase, what, and, and we talk about it and we hear it all the time, black power. Mm -hmm. That's what he kind of laid out, you know, um, what black power was. And one of the things that he talked about in the speech was before anything, black power is, of course, you know, political and economic sovereignty. But it's the right of black people to be able to define for themselves who they are before anything. That's the definition of power. And he argued that what made white people so uncomfortable was that when black people assert themselves and say black power, it is almost as if the way white people have asserted white power, which has been through violence, through degradation, when all black people have always asked for is, listen, we just want to be treated 
you know, whether it's equality or justice, it's always been a different name, but what we've searched for is, excuse that siren in the back, it's Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) You know how that, you know how that. Chicago in the summertime. (laughs) Excuse you. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. You got a real offended in you, bro. (laughs) Well, listen, we all can't be from the mean streets of Knoxville and Charlotte. Oh, you trying to throw um, Don't tell no. me because I pay for safety. Don't I'm about to say that. Don't, 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 <laughs> no, don't do that, Chicago. All, like, no, real talk, all jokes aside, it's been a new black boy getting killed to almost every other month in, in Knoxville. No I lies. believe it. Yeah. I believe it. I yeah. believe it. So even these conversations we're having about black power is so much relevant. But that ain't even what I wanted to talk about because y'all know I'm really messy at heart, right? Absolutely. So I say all that to say to you so you know. We have Malcolm X, Father Generation Flex, all of this Will Smith, Prince, Michael Jackson, Queen Latifah, all of these men and women are basically brain child, brain children of the work that this man did. Even Stokely Carmichael with the black power um, idea or philosophy resting on X's black nationalism philosophy. Mm-hmm. Now, I say all of that because I'm also reading... Manning Marable's autobiography on Malcolm X. And I came across a pretty juicy passage and I wanted to get you all's attention. (laughs) I want to bring to you all's attention, rather. What? So. (laughs) You sound uh, so excited about this. I am, because listen, (laughs) apparently, alleged, according to sources of this book, (laughs) Malcolm X, in his younger days, was a gay prostitute. Him say what? He was a gay prostitute. And not only was he a gay prostitute, but his main clients were rich or wealthy white men. Now, this is there's been some discussion in in scholarly circles about Malcolm X's homos, um homosexual activities and um kind of kind of the history of this. Like how true was this? So my question to you guys is this if you found out or if it was any truth to Malcolm X's and I'll read the passage um if if need be yes. but do you want me to read it um, yeah. is it long I, yeah how long is it huh? uh, <laughs> um I mean it's if it's not. more than a paragraph then don't read it no it's a paragraph it says I read it okay. well just give you a little uh, a little context read it, so he he talks about it he talks about, he writes about it in his autobiography. Malcolm X writes about it, but he he credits it to this character called Ruby. So the author of this book alleges that Ruby is actually Malcolm. He's talking about himself in his autobiography. And okay. he and his sources, the, the sources that he's gathered are conversations, letters, um, and some other primary sources. So it's, I mean, it's pretty legitimate, but just, let me just read a passage from um, the book. So it says, Rudy had a side deal going, a hustle that took that took me right back to the old street days in Harlem. Once a week, Rudy went to the home of this old, rich Boston, blue hood, pillar of society aristocrat. He paid Rudy to undress them both and pick up the old man like a baby, lay him on the bed and stand over him and sprinkle him all over with talcum powder. Rudy said that the old man would actually reach from that. Then he goes on to says, based on circumstantial but strong evidence, Malcolm was probably describing his own homosexual encounters with Paul Lennon. So, 
Now, of course. <laughs> you said Rudy or Ruby? Rudy, R-U-D-Y. Now, I asked that because you know they called him Red, and Ruby, Red, Rudy. Mm. Well, listen. Well, based on, pose your question again. Here's my question. Now that heard that. What is, not knowing, knowing that what you know, and if you all were listening to the forefathers that we listed, I did, I actually listed several uh, homosexual black men as forefathers of this movement, including RuPaul and Ben and Rustin. But knowing what you know about Malcolm and the influence that he has had on um, generations after him, would your opinion of him change if he was, in fact, a gay man? No. My opinion no. wouldn't change, but I think the 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 opinion of him um, holistically would change depending on when the information had been released. Like now, I don't think many people would care as much. Younger people, because a lot of young dudes still have, you know, still homophobic in the hood and stuff. Mm-hmm. That probably changed some of their opinions. But, you know, older people, no. I don't think they would care. Um, however, if you would drop this information, if this has been like a public thing 20 years ago, oh, yeah, nah. It wouldn't, nah. Well, people would deny it, deny, deny, deny. 30 years ago, people would be, become lesser fans of Malcolm X. Like in the 80s, people would be less fans. 90s, people would deny. You know what I'm saying? Early 2000s, people probably wouldn't pay attention. Now he probably get embraced even more. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think the only reason why people would even have an issue with it is because people feel like um, anything womanly, um, anything feminine, anything less than manly is not powerful. So I don't think, I think that if they would have known that at the time, um, and of course all of this is alleged, so, you know, you never know, but I just feel like, you know, anyone who has an issue with it, they have an issue because they feel like anything less than, you know, a strong man persona isn't enough to carry the black power movement. You know Absolutely. what I mean? I it do. would it wouldn't be seen as powerful. You know, it would be almost like everything he said, you would look at it in a whole different light, like, oh, this was soft and this was soft, you know, or whatever. Um, which is which I feel like oh, almost in the sense that like that's why he had to go ahead and say from the beginning, like, get my religion out of the way, you know, because people let their personal feelings affect what's what's concrete and what's going on the actual mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. You absolutely know what I mean? absolutely so you know i i think it would be shocking to people but that's really because of how our brains are programmed to think about what's powerful and what's considered not powerful you know well, well i also think it's important that when we talk about malcolm x and we talk about men who have paved the way and the shoulders that we stand on we have to be very adamant to have conversations that include a variety of men. And we absolutely have to have that conversation when you're talking about Generation Flex and influence there. You absolutely have to mention Malcolm X in the same breath as RuPaul, because when you're looking at what these two men did respectively for um, oppressed communities or their respective oppressed communities, it was groundbreaking. No one, when you compare the two, Neither community had seen a leader quite like either one of them. Yeah, Black folks had never seen anybody like Malcolm. We never had anybody like that who not only spoke so pride, prideful of Black 
of black pride, who who was so filled of love for black people, because we we seen that, we heard that, but mm-hmm. who also did not play around with white people and was like, listen, this is what's going on. This is yes. what's on the other end. And if you put your hands on me and mine, I'm gonna send you to the grave, and there's nothing about it. You know yep. what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that was that was empowering for black people. And it. Uh, 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 a lot could be, or the the similar could be said for RuPaul, especially in the time that he came up, he came along in. And I actually had a conversation with a Facebook acquaintance. Um, it wasn't so much a conversation as we were just going back and forth about a meme he shared about um, some question. He shared a meme of questions he had for people who identified as gay, and uh-huh. the questions were basically like. Things that, I mean, they were just so offensive. It's just not even worth it. But, I mean, in his mind, it was like logical inquiry. Like, these are real questions I would ask, you know, um, members of the gay community. And I told him in our conversation that men like Ben and Rustin, who was the architect of the civil rights movement, uh-huh. men like um, Langston Hughes, who was arguably one of the greatest poets of our time, these men were documented to be in same-sex relationships. And yeah. if that was the case, would your opinion of them change? And he couldn't provide an answer. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I could see how you could compare the two um, as far as being leaders of uh, an oppressed group, you know? Um, for for me, I just kind of, I kind of, it upsets me a little bit the way people um, brush off RuPaul and I and I and I say that because um I just feel like even as a black community um because Michael Net Malcolm X talks about ourselves I feel like we even if somebody's doing good we kind of brush them brush them aside based off their sexuality do you know what I'm saying and someone like RuPaul is never going to receive a humanitarian award even though he's the reason why you know on tv you got shows like you got networks like bravo and logo and stuff because in the 90s he came out and he came into mainstream america and he was digestible you know like he was just so gorgeous that people were like oh he's not as scary or it's not as like a mystery or it's not you know um and i just feel like he's created his own lane. Like we talked about Will Smith creating, you know, his own brand and things like that. Um, But he's kind of created his own lane as a businessman based off of the fact that he got rejected in so many other fields and areas of entertainment, you know, like he had his own TV show, which was huge. Cause I remember when he came out, I didn't even know that that wasn't a man that that was not a woman you know what I mean? like i didn't i, I mean didn't, it didn't matter he was just entertaining no but i just but i just but i know what you mean yeah i know what you, you know mean. what i'm saying mm-hmm. you know and then going on to his tv shows and you know the radio career and everything and then just now seeing what he's doing you know people look at rupaul's drag race like the show and they're like oh this is just fun this is how you know people kiki whatever but i don't think they realize he has employed a hundred drag queens okay mm-hmm. Not only that, but now they're traveling to places in the world where it's illegal to be gay. You know what I'm saying? And people are booking them there. Like, even if it's secretly or whatever, you know, they're still trying to get them out there. And I just feel like as much as representation matters, you know, for our young men and women on TV, like we hold, you know, rappers and things like that. But I feel like seeing that on TV as well for young boys and girls who may be going through that situation um, is also important. Absolutely. You know? Go ahead, Jabari. No, I had nothing to say. I was. I mean, I'm agreeing with everything y'all saying. 
Yeah. So, so I mean, so as a black as a black man, Jabari, when I say that I hold RuPaul in the same regard as I hold Malcolm X, how does that make you feel? That doesn't make you feel any type of way. No, I mean, I'm well. See, here's the thing. I'm a heterosexual man that grew up loving theater, so I grew up around straight men and gay men my whole life. Not not like that. Not not like you know in my family, but like you know in theater. Being, you know what I'm saying, being around, like, dance teachers that, you know, always been gay, having classmates that were gay, to being a theater major at FAMU and being one of maybe three straight men out of 20 men total, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, I've never, you know, I've always seen, you know, I've always seen the juxtaposition as more as more parallel than two different. You know what I'm saying? As far mm-hmm. as as far as, you know, gay men that, you know, revolutionize things, the straight men that revolutionize things. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Whether I agree agree or disagree with the, you know, with the lifestyle, that's you know, completely, you know, a whole different thing. You know what I'm saying? But as far as seeing the seeing, you know, how RuPaul's um RuPaul's life and, you know, revolutionizing things, um, as far as sexuality is concerned, you know, as you know, I as as far as paralleling that to Malcolm X, I see it being possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I see the parallels being there, but I, I mean, I think it, the way they both done is still a little different. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, but I will add though to that, that <clears throat> a lot of the, a lot of the things that Malcolm X spoke on in his, you know, his lifetime actually are manifested through RuPaul's life. Hmm. Go ahead, explain a little further what you mean. Well, I mean, you know, he talks about, um, you know, using your own, working with your own, employing yes. your own, and all that kind of stuff. RuPaul yes. did all of that. Yeah. Being proud, being black, standing up. Yes. Against, you know, fighting against the oppressors. Fighting. I don't know if people realize how woke RuPaul is. Like, even if he's doing it, whether it's in the black community or the gay community, he's doing it. I mean, he, and he's. And he's definitely doing it. Um, he's doing it in both. He's doing it in both. And it's and that's as, that's important. That's an important conversation. That, and I, yeah, it is. It is important because I feel like um, when it comes to what people fight for, and you know, I'm I, you know, I'm straight or whatever. But I just don't. You know, I know some people are like, well, don't speak on my topic if you don't know whatever. But just from this outside perspective, it seems like people are protesting for, you know, black rights. People are protesting for silver, you know, for um, gay rights. But in between black gays, it seems like there's still just this huge epidemic of of mistreatment. You know what I mean? Well, it's hard for a lot of black people. And And this is exactly why, and to bring all this home, this is exactly why Malcolm told us at the beginning of the speech, to leave your religion at home because a lot of the conversation that excludes homosexuals is rooted in religion. And what Malcolm was saying was if we get caught up in that conversation before we even bring the problems to the table, we will never discuss the problems. Absolutely. That was the, and I mean, the the, the crazy part about that speech and I, I recommend anybody, I mean, I literally listen to that speech at least three or four times a week. Um, it is, Ooh. it is, yeah, I do. It is, it, it is like my pick me up because it is a constant reminder of 
what I need to be doing. Owning my own, keeping money in my community, building, being disciplined. Because he talked about how you go from being undisciplined to discipline. He yeah. talked about the um, lapidated communities to functioning communities. He talked about how you go from a little rat race, one um, storefront to a to a corporate to a corporate running business. You know what I'm saying? The mm-hmm. blueprint is there. When we look at Malcolm, when we look at Stokely, when we look at some of these other forefathers, the blueprint has already been laid. So all we have to do now is walk through and listen. Can I? Who about to be the? We are very close (laughs) to electing either Corella Deville or Emma Ford as president of this country. I'm gonna be honest with you. Listen, (laughs) that's where we at. It's either Corella well, okay. or Amphor, well, and well, I would well, just rather just phone a friend. One, one quote, um, well, loose quote from that speech, it also applies to this election. When he said, um, stop letting the white man use a black person to lead us astray. Oh, God. And Ooh. it immediately took me to two individuals right now that are tr- <laughs> that, that trolled the hell out of us. <laughs> Who are you talking about, Stacey Dash? Stacey Dash, because first of all, nobody was paying attention to Stacey Dash. And then it was like, she briefly mentioned she was Republican. And those white people, I know for a fact, because I just saw too that she was just the only money and income she was receiving before was like from her husband or something like that. So I know they put some money in her pocket and she just Ever went, don't put all her and she in the street just LA, went, LA, oh, no, excuse me. <laughs> yes, I will. But like, she just kind of went like, she just she went full force and i feel like every time if full you know force this, like retarded full, you mean yes but, it's, but <laughs> hey that word her. is offensive no but listen though no. they stacy dash right she's done nothing political nothing political besides what you and i do which is speak our opinion but she has done nothing political right so my question is how is it she always like, pop- how how is she how has she always popped up in moments where like the Jesse Williams speech, right? Everybody's feeling great. And then she pops up purposefully to be like, well, I disagree with everything he said. And then all of a sudden we are led astray from the purpose and now we're attacking her. But I'm well, like, listen. but stop attacking her because she is just a distraction. <laughs> listen, I don't think I don't think she even knew the prophecy she was stepping into. And that's what I'm saying. When her first movie was Clueless. I think that listen. was that would resonate. You want to talk about like for, purpose? I mean, letters? I just I, you want to talk about Walker into your purpose? <laughs> yes, Stacy, you better what? Walk into your purpose. You better claim your purpose, you clueless nigga. So listen, we are going to <laughs> We've already run over. <laughs> but we are going to no wrap the show up here. Listen, it's niggas like Stacey Dash that really, it really reminds me more than anything why Malcolm's words matter yes. more than ever. Uncle you know what Ruckus, I'm saying? Auntie Stacey. Hmm? Uncle Ruckus and Auntie Stacey. Y'all never heard? You Y'all never Tyson? seen the Boondocks? You talking about Ben? Oh, you, uh, yeah. Black yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we do have to we do have to wrap this up. So we're gonna go ahead and slide right into our last segment. We're a little bit over, but it's all good. The conversation today was riveting. Yes. That's a great word, wouldn't you say? Riveting. Yeah, and don't stop it, you know. Go have it with other people. If Absolutely. even if you're upset about something, go talk about it. Absolutely. Like- and I'm gonna go ahead and say this, which I'm gonna go- continue your uh, tradition of pissing the black people off in this episode, Jabari. 
I'm going to take that a step further and assert that I do believe that the allegations made against Malcolm X are true. I do. But at the same time, I also believe that Malcolm X is a personification of what a man can become when he identifies self-discipline as the goal. Yeah. And that was the difference between Malcolm Little and Malcolm X is self-discipline. And more than anything, Maya Angelou told us that all of us can be what Malcolm and what Martin was. We can never make those men larger than life because um, we could never strive to that. We want our children to feel like they could be Malcolms, they can be Martins, they can be Coretta's and they can be Betty Shabazz's and all these other people that we revere because the goal needs to be training an army of Malcolms and an army of Stokely so we can make this thing pop. So with all that said, we're going to slide into our last segment very quickly, guys, because we are running over. So let's get into our um, some of our favorite men from the Generation Flex era. So I will start with Evra. I knew he was going to do that. Um, <laughs> okay. Off the cuff. Um, <laughs> you speaking from the heart again, Reverend. Speaking from the heart, I guess. Um, obviously, RuPaul, because we, we've discussed that. And, um, you know, we could do in a whole another hour and a half um, we could. On, on him. But, um, ooh, okay. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say genuine. Wait a minute, don't you hear me, baby? Yeah. Um, and then on a side note, I'm going to say Usher just because, you know, they were one and the same, competing against each other. And then... Um, oh, <laughs> challenge. No, they, and then... Um, I don't know. They just were all amazing. I don't know. Whatever, you didn't pick two, so can we get one more, please? Just to round it out, you know. I'm going to say um, Eric Troy Wright and Jabari Payne. Boom. There you go. What year? Because I it depends on the 90s. <laughs> you know what? Because if you it was 98, do. yeah, that was my year. Um, <laughs> okay. So I guess I'll, I'll go next. My top, my favorite men from Generation Flex era. Um, just first three men come to mind. There were so many excellent men doing their thing during this time. But if I had to choose a favorite actor from this time, it surprisingly wouldn't be Will Smith. It would actually be Lorenz Tate. So he would be one of my favorite. They're doing um, Love Jones the Musical. I saw that. I wasn't sure if that was a With like rumor. Chrisette Michelle. I posted yeah, I, that. Raheem Devine. I'm going to have to do my, I'm going to have to do a little bit more research, but I didn't, I, it didn't feel real. It didn't no, feel real. I heard it was because I heard MC Light was like, it or something. I just saw that. Okay. Well, I don't know. Well, we'll find out if it come out. Keep Absolutely. You know, people, you know, people are really quick to make a real good, um, a real good fake post out there. Yeah, but yeah, some of them be good. Some of them be real good. If it is fake, though, I hope that it inspires them. Like that is a good idea. Let's go ahead and jump on that. Absolutely. Um, moving on. My number two, um, favorite man from Generation Flex era is, of course, the King of Pop, Michael Jackson, who. Was the soundtrack of my childhood. Remember the time as the greatest black yes. visual. Just, I mean, it was everything my little chocolate self needed as a five year old. And I will, he will forever that, be. That was the finest that he ever was. He needed to stop right there. Like, cause he was. Oh. Well, no, he was starting to look like Madonna in that. You know, I'm about to say was, now, what? <laughs> he was starting to look like. Michael no, I mean, like, but I remember right after that, it kind of went left. 
So, but anyways, go it ahead. had been left about four years at that point, but it's okay <laughs> because Michael, one thing about it is you are the most talented um, transitioning from dark skin to white person I've ever known. So, yes, and there's um, plenty out here trying to do it now. Exactly, and none will ever do it better. So, shout out to Michael for that. And my favorite guy from the Generation Flex era is, and this kind of goes, um, Jabbar, it actually more goes back to the original topic, which was who wasn't popping then in mm-hmm. Generation Flex was popping now. It's President Barack Obama. Okay, I get that because he was okay. active. That's how he he was. He was, he was a senator, yeah. and he he lost his he lost his state race in ninety seven. And you know what? I will say you're the one who introduced me to Obama because I had mm. no idea who he was, and I remember wow. you were like you were just like, oh yeah, you know this brother, he has potential, and I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and seven years later, but you know what's so interesting though, just just to uh, you know go back to like something I've been thinking. Yeah, I, I say go back like y'all know I'm talking. Think about this, but um, if y'all watch and. Troy actually put me onto this. Mm. The Legends Ball with Oprah. Yes. The Legends Ball it's a good was, was about a year or two before President Barack Obama was on the Oprah Winfrey show. Mm-hmm. About a year or two before. If you notice, yeah. Michelle Obama was was invited personally by Oprah. Yes. And President Barack Obama was her plus one. She, <laughs> I was just about to say, Obama was the plus one to the Legends Ball. Yeah. So, just marinate on that. Yeah. I'm having... Okay, we go. Just go. <laughs> so, yes. Um, Jabari. Marinate on that. Um, top three men from Generation Flex era. Easily, easily. My favorite three off, off just, just rolling them off. <sighs> Number one would be Will Smith. Um, like I said in the Westman episode, when I was five, um, well, when I was four, I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to draw. When I was five, I wanted to be an actor because I, because of Will Smith, and I've not wanted to be in anything but the performing arts since. I don't know what it's like to be in anything outside of the performing arts. Even as a, as a photojournalist in news, I look at it as art. So I don't know anything outside of the arts. I don't know what it is to not be an artist. Thank you, Will um, Smith. Shout out to him. My number two. Um, Gregory Hines, not Gregory Hines. I'm sorry, Savion Glover. Oh, so, that um, way. Listen, I, shout out to Gregory Hines. Yeah, I was about to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Gregory Hines was. I would say is. Um, I mean, he's definitely like early generation flex. But um, Savion is the latter part. Savion fused hip hop and tap. You know what I'm saying? He he. If there would tap would not still be relevant today if had it not been for Savion Glover. And Savion, he is. He's literally the child of people like. Um, Fayard Nicholas and the Nicholas brothers, Gregory Hines, um, Sammy Davis Jr. Like these people, like literally taught Savion. There's a movie called Tap that came out in the 80s. Savion is like 12 years old in this movie with the legends like Gregory Hines, Sammy Davis Jr., Fayard Nicholas, Fred Astaire, who's white, but he was he was like he was like the Justin Timberlake of Tap, if you will. Like he was in, or the Robin Thicke of Tap, like or the John B of Tap. He was, he was yes, in. Yes, John B. He was. In <laughs> well, he was the him. white Cab Calloway. Mm, Fred Astaire, mm, yeah. not really. I mean, he wasn't doing none that Cab Calloway wasn't doing. But, but no, I mean, but Fred Astaire primarily did tap. I mean, it's or dance. I mean, that's like he was main. Like, there's actually a Fred Astaire dance studio 
in Tallahassee. Um, so be a Savion would definitely be number two because tap is my favorite form of dance. And my final one would have to be Spike Lee. Spike Lee. He was on my list originally. Yeah. But I had to make room for Barack because Spike's not president. That would be the blackest thing ever, though. Uh, we <laughs> we want a whole other country. We don't need that. We don't need a Trump presidency. We don't need a Spike Lee. We don't need We that need a Spike Lee We presidency. need somebody who loves... I pledge allegiance to the black. Absolutely. No, we, <laughs> we don't need a Spike Lee presidency. Absolutely. <laughs> Could you imagine that Prince National no. Holiday? What? No. I, I'd vote for you, Now, Spike. listen... Man, yo, we got to get this um Spike Lee Film Festival started, though. Hey, real talk, though. We've been talking about this for like two years. Actually, it's going on three now. We need to make this happen. I mean, listen, I say we do that. A Spike Lee Film Festival, that's that's around January every listen, year. Listen, don't put, your, don't put your ideas out there. And somebody uh, that's too soon, next year. Yeah, that's <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll talk about all of that um at another time. Let's go ahead and wrap this up, guys. I have really enjoyed the conversation today. It's been right. been pretty dope. Final thoughts. Um, first. The final um, thoughts. Generation Flex, the men, they groomed us, man. They groomed us. Oh. All right. Uh, final thoughts. Generation Flex men, y'all groomed the man that I, I you know, who marry eventually. So, shout out. <laughs> Absolutely. You should have um, just ended. You should have just ended right. <laughs> no, you should just <laughs> moving on. Um, final thoughts. Um, you know, just keeping in mind that we stand on some awesome, awesome shoulders. Yes, we. Do. You know, we are we are products. Me personally, Eric Troy Jr. I am a product of Will Smith and Spike Lee and Denzel Washington and Jamie Foxx and Barry Gordy and. Michael Jackson and all these other men who showed me what it meant to be unapologetically black in all that I did. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Shout out to Malcolm X, the father who birthed this, this entire movement, um, that his death was not in vain, that he lives on in all of the work that we do. I've been keeping Malcolm's spirit alive in some of my writings on my blog um, in the King Versation series with kind of bringing him back and Martin and somebody Stokely brought Stokely back and just kind of seeing how these men would deal with issues going on in 2016. Like right now, Malcolm is dealing with Trayvon Martin and he's, it's like his, he's about to snap and he just had this conversation with Tupac because Tupac, like you call yourself Malcolm, but you ain't really wait, doing nothing. Just give him, the, give him the website. Let him go read it. Let him <laughs> yeah. Don't but it's just... blogspot.com. So yeah, it's really, really good. But um, absolutely, for Jabari, Evra, Eric, Troy, myself, we will see you on the other side. Peace. Why is America, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? Because this is the year of politics. This is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the Negro community. You never see them until election time. You can't blame them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations. And this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a Republican nor a Democrat. 
nor an American. And got sense enough to know it. I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats. One of the 22 million black victims of the Republicans and one of the 22 million black victims of Americanism. And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. When we open our eyes today and look around America, we see America not through the eyes of someone who, have, who has enjoyed the fruits of Americanism. We see America through the eyes of someone who has been the victim of Americanism. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. We haven't benefited from America's democracy. We've only suffered from America's hypocrisy. And the generation that's coming up now can see it and are not afraid to say it. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black, you were born in jail. If you black, you were born in jail. In the north as well as the south. Stop talking about the south. Long as you south of the long as you south of the Canadian border, you're south.